Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey friends, Erin here. It's just solo today. I'm going to talk about something that I posted on social media today. Well, it will be yesterday when you're listening to this. But first, I want to post a disclaimer and a trigger warning for anybody who's in active eating disorder recovery. Um, I'm going to be talking about weight and calories and stuff that could potentially register as problematic for you. So um, if you're going to dive in, cool, but just do a healthy dose of self-auditing. And if things start to feel a little bit squirrely in your brain or your body, if you start to feel like this isn't a good place for me, then just bail. Come back next week. Um, The reason that I'm going to bring all this up is it's something that I'm consistently seeing as well as many of my colleagues. And I do think it's really worth talking about. We've, at this point, been doing this podcast for over a year and a half. One of the main messages that we try to get across to women is that you need to stop starving yourself, which is tricky because it basically flies in the face of everything that we've ever been taught and led to believe about ourselves. So what I'm finding in working with women individually and through groups is that many of you guys are hearing this message and you're increasing your food intake somewhat. Um, So I'll have women say, well, I was eating the classic 1,200 calories a day and now I've bumped it up to 1,500, 1,600 calories, which is obviously great. That's huge. But it also tells me that there's a lot of education that still needs to come into play because 1,600 calories actually isn't enough for most women. And this is especially true if you're an active woman, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about today, fueling your workout, fueling your activity level. So I, we are going to, towards the end of this, get into some calorie-specific stuff. Um We want to fuel our bodies so that they can handle the demands of what we're placing on them. And it's a lot. Modern women, we put an insane amount of pressure on ourselves to look and to perform a very certain perfect way. And these impossible standards create a great deal of chronic low-grade stress. And this stress often goes unrealized because it's so commonplace in today's world. I mean, who do you talk to who's not stressed out? Probably nobody. Um, 
so many of us aren't even able to acknowledge the stress because we just have this underlying belief that we should be able to handle it all. And if we can't handle it all, then something's wrong with us. And I call this the modern American woman syndrome. I've lectured about it before, and it's actually what I'll be discussing this weekend coming up at the Seacoast Wellness uh, Series Summit. So I'm pumped about that. I've actually been invited to the Disruptors panel. I'm like, that's an appropriate name for for myself. Um, And I'm going to be talking about misogyny in healthcare. I'm probably going to talk about how birth control isn't really as feminist as you might think it is, Um, and just a lot of the issues that I see um, come up in healthcare and the wellness world. And then I have a breakout workshop where I'll be lecturing specifically about adrenals, thyroid, hormones, and why we're all so freaking messed up here. We have to acknowledge that the demands we're placing on our bodies is huge. The What we're asking ourselves to do on a, on a daily basis, it's a lot. But this this unrealized stress, this concealed pressure, it starts to grind down on the endocrine system. So that's the hormonal system, on our digestive system, on our immune systems. And over time, it can lead to fatigue, hormonal issues, thyroid disorder, autoimmunity. Um, So we start to feel bad. It starts to affect our physical bodies. And we bring these symptoms to our physicians and we discuss our feelings of exhaustion, burnout, anxiety, brain fog, weight gain, bloating, aches, pains, all of it. We discuss these symptoms with our doctors and we're often told that everything is normal. Blood work is normal. Oh, it's normal to feel like this. You're, you know, you're you're in your 40s. It's normal to start gaining weight or you're a new mom. It's normal to be tired or sometimes it's normal to skip periods. You're probably just under stress. All your labs look normal. All the blood work looks normal. So we leave often feeling really invalidated, super underdiagnosed, overprescribed because we often leave with a prescription for something um, and we're more stressed and then we feel like it's all of our fault. So it's, it's a bad situation that we're in, um, but we have to look to like the tippity top. Where is it all starting? Well, a lot of it starts with this, what we're asking ourselves to do. Um, I have been working with women all along the continuum, right? So sometimes women come to me and they're just starting to feel stress. Sometimes there's some like weird stuff going on, but they're, um, you know, nothing showing up on labs that their doctor's running. So we have to do some more functional labs to pick things up. Um, Or they are coming to me with like a full-blown diagnosed disease. So I see them all along the continuum. And unfortunately, I'm seeing what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it because I'm seeing it play out in real time. Um, And I think that it just needs to be a bigger discussion. And it needs to happen on a larger platform. And more and more and more women need help with this. And so one of the ways that I'm going to, that's like my call to action, like what can I do to help? Because that's why I was put on this planet is to help other women, you know, with all this stuff. Um, I'm going to keep talking about it on the podcast and, and other other places. But I also am going 
I'm in the process of designing a brand new program, and it's based exactly on all the things that I'm talking about. Um, all the things that I've seen over and over and over again the past eight years in my practice. You're going to get access in this group to all the labs that are so hard to get in a doctor's office, like a full thyroid panel. Um, I'll also be doing Dutch hormone testing. So it's these functional labs and test uh, different ways of testing that really highlight the issues because before they become a mega problem. Um, and if they're is a mega problem, they'll surely pick up on those as well. Um, on top of that, I'll, I'll also analyze your test and give you a very individualized protocol based on all of the findings. So I am like, pee my pants excited about this. <laughs> like, I can't freaking wait. I want it to be ready like tomorrow. Um, if this is something that you think you could use, be sure to head over to my website, erinholthealth.com forward slash hormones and get on the wait list. Um, I will be doing it. I'm going to release it sometime late summer, early fall. And the first group is going to be a beta group, similar to how I structured my carb compatibility project. I'm only going to take on a small number of people, and it's probably going to be at a lower price point just so I can work the kinks out um, and make sure everyone's having a really good experience. Um, so this is the exclusive announcement. I haven't even named the program yet. I'm just in the fledgling stages of that. Um, and if you have any feedback of things like or any ideas of things that you'd really like to see in this program, I am all ears. So don't hesitate to reach out on uh, social media or in my inbox. Okay, so we've got all that going on. It's like a crazy, we're like just high stress, high pressure, doing a lot, performing a lot. And then on top of that, many of us are lumping physical exercise on that, right? A lot of us are are active. Um, so the emotional, the mental, the physical demands that we're placing on our bodies are extremely high. And yet many of us are not appropriately fueling those demands. So that's a problem. Um, I personally don't even mess around when it comes to fueling my workouts. Like I am all in. Uh, we talked about, I inter or no, Sarah Curry interviewed me um, a few episodes ago. We talked about bonking during high intensity interval training. So go check that out if you haven't listened already. We talk about more specific ways to appropriately fuel your high intensity interval training. Um, by the way, Turns out that bonking actually means something different in the UK. So I got some funny emails um, in response to the newsletter that I sent out about bonking. <laughs> um, so if you're from the UK, you're probably getting a little chuckle about this. Uh, but, you know, bonking sucks. And we talked all about that in the episode. But for me, worse than that is if I underfuel my exercise, it really, really taxes my adrenals. Um, we're going to talk more about why that is in a little bit. So I start to feel really fatigued. I start to feel uh, physical stress in my body. And that for me is the biggest trigger for um, my autoimmunity. So my immune system just starts to go haywire. And then I feel laid out. And this has happened time and time again, if I'm not taking extra good care to make sure I'm getting good quality fuel, um, into my body for my workouts. So I really do try to keep my energies up by a, a fueling myself appropriately. And that is just something that's being so overlooked 
um, like kind of across the board. I just keep seeing it over and over again. So yesterday, or no, 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 sorry. This weekend, I posted um, in my stories, I posted a photo of food and hydration. I was getting ready for a hot Pilates class. And I did a little poll, and 96% of you guys wanted me to talk more about specifics. So yesterday um, morning, I did a post, and there were a lot of questions that came up and just interesting things. So I want to really blow out that post and talk more about the details and sort of what I do and why I do it and also why I say the things that I say in that post. Um, I think it's a very necessary discussion since just about everyone and their moms are trying to fast right now. Intermittent fasting, fasting, intermittent fasting, fasting. Like we just keep hearing about it all the time. And it, it's one of those things that like the more you hear about something, the more um, popular a fad is or a trend is, the more we start to internalize if I'm not doing that, then there's something wrong with me. If I'm not doing that, that means I don't have enough willpower. I'm not good enough. I'm not deserving. It starts the whole negative spiral. And so people sort of jump on board with a trend. They never, they never really necessarily um, determine, is this actually appropriate for me? It's more so like, well, everybody's doing it, so I should be doing it. And I just see that so much, no matter what the trend is, what what the food trend is, whether it's celery juice, fasting, low carb, whatever. It's like, shoot, I guess I got to do it now too. So lots of fasting going on. Um, I taught a workshop a couple of weeks ago, um, and one woman, we were talking about fasting, and one woman admitted that she was only eating one meal a day and she was feeling awful. She's like, I do not feel good. I have no energy. I'm dizzy all the time. I have brain fog. It's hard to do anything. And I'm like, yeah, obviously you're eating one meal a day. That's that's starvation. You're starving yourself. But she really had like she was doing it because she truly believed this is what I'm supposed to do. This is my only option for weight loss. And it was kind of um, a scale for her. It was kind of like a a spiral. And I see this happen quite a bit where you kind of start to dip your toe into the low carb world. And this this can be, I'll use low carb as an example. This could be said many different ways for different things. But it's like, okay, I start doing low carb. Okay, I'm getting some good results. I like how I feel. I like what I'm, you know, I like how I look. I, I'm really liking it. And then we like ante up. We're like, what's the next thing I could do? It's like a very Americanized mentality. If some is good, more is better. So just like, let's do it all. Let's go balls to the wall. So then we go from low carb, then we go to keto, right? If low carb's good, then keto must be better. And the funny thing about keto, keto is a high fat diet. And yet so many women are attempting ketogenic diet, still afraid of fat. They're like, well, I want to do it, but I'm sort of, you know, I don't want to eat too much fat. They still aren't trusting that fat is good. So it's like this keto, but there's restriction, right? There's like not as much fat and they're still restricting calories. So it's now we're like going from low carb to low carb plus low calorie. And then the next step is to layer on fasting on top of that. So like shortening the eating window. I've talked about intermittent fasting a bunch. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to an older episode. I um, I don't know the, the numbers off the top of my head, but um, you can certainly find more information. Um, 
So that's kind of like how people are approaching it. So it's kind of like this slippery slope. I start here and then now all of a sudden I'm eating one meal a day. What? And she was still super active on top of that. So we talked through some some ways for her to um, get beyond that. Um, and then another woman on my Instagram post, she's uh, Lisa Barney. She said, this is all music to my ears. Hot power yoga and trying to eat in an eight hour window are killing me. So one of the very popular intermittent fasting styles is 16-8. So you fast for 16 hours and you eat for eight hours. So your eating window is close to eight hours. Um, First of all, I think you guys probably know what I'm going to say here. If your diet is killing you, then you have to stop doing it. Um, but it really just makes me so mad that women are really feeling like they have to fast, even though they know that it's not working for them. Like they're willing to say like, I feel like crap, this is killing me. I'm still doing it because I think I have to. Um, and I want to say that most fasting research is done on men and men's bodies are different. And they can withstand different stressors. And usually they can withstand more stressors. As a female, your body is different than a man's. Your needs are different. So I just want to put that out there, Um, especially if you're like looking at your husband and you're like, he's thriving on this. I should be doing that too because I hear that quite a bit. Not true. And then furthermore, fasting Like if you're truly doing it for mitochondrial function, for longevity, for all the the stuff that the research shows why it's so beneficial, if you're doing it for those reasons, it really should be done in a very calm, well-rested, low-stress environment. It is not, I'm fasting and I'm going balls to the wall with a high-intensity workout. It's not, I'm fasting and I'm doing some weird caloric restriction on top of the fasting. It's everything's cool, calm, copacetic. Everything in my life is cool, calm, copacetic. And then I'm going to add this fasting on top of it. Um, And it's really only appropriate if you have absolutely no history of restriction or disordered eating. So if you're the type of person that's saying, yeah, I eat 1,200 calories a day, or I eat 1,400 calories a day, or I've yo-yo dieted, or um, I have, you know, you know, you have a diagnosed eating disorder, no, don't do it. It's so freaking triggersome. Fasting can be so triggersome. Triggersome for like, mentality, like old restrictive mentality, um, but also like behaviors as well. So it's a hard no for you, pal. Um, Don't do it. uh, The only way you want to attempt it is if you have low life stress. Uh, Fasting is a stressor, so you don't want to layer stress on top of stress. Um, If you're the type of person that catches yourself running around telling everyone how busy you are, how little time you have, how you don't have the time to do the things that you know that are good for you, you don't have time to eat meals, you're skipping meals, you don't have time to cook meals, you don't have time to go for a walk or spend time in nature or meditate, I don't have time for that, or I can't meditate, my brain's too crazy, my life's too crazy. That means that you have a high life stress. You have high life stress. You're out, okay? You sit this play out. You are not a good candidate for fasting. I know these are things that you don't want to hear, but that's because we've we've been brought up in a super duper disordered, dysfunctional culture. 
that tells us like, go harder, go faster. I'm saying that it's actually not going to work. It's going to backfire. So get that life stress. If you really want to fast, you got to get that life stress down first. And then finally, you want to make sure that you have good control of your blood sugar. So um, if you're getting the brain fog, the headaches, the bonking, the afternoon crash, that means you don't have a good control of blood sugar. Um, I've talked a lot about blood sugar in the past. So go back to some previous episodes and, and check that out. See if you have the symptoms of low blood sugar. If you do, don't fast, homie. Don't do it. I'm telling you. You heard it here first. Um, as I said, fasting is a stressor. Caloric restriction is a stressor. Even weight loss is a stressor. Um, intense exercise, that's also a stressor. Guys, stressors aren't bad. We need stressors. We need external stressors. It, it helps us adapt and uh, become more resilient and become more strong. So I'm not saying stressor like it's a bad thing, but when you start to like layer caloric restriction on top of fasting, on top of intense exercise, on top of trying to lose weight, on top of life stress, that's just like adding stress on top of stress on top of stress and it's a bad idea you your chances are you won't be able to withstand that for the long haul some of us just kind of like put our heads down and like get through it anyway we're just like we're just grinding 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 that's when problems start to pop up um the people that can do that like the people that truly can do all of this and thrive they're the outliers they are the exception to the rule they're not the rule itself and I want to point this out, the people that are telling you to do this, so like fast, do fasted workouts, fast and then, you know, do all the things, intermittent fast. The people that are telling you this, um, they're doing it themselves and they're telling you about it. You have no idea what's going on under their hood. You have absolutely no idea um, about their fertility, if they're menstruating, if they have good control over their hormones, if they've got thyroid um, health, if they have adrenal dysfunction, like you have no idea. Guess what? I do. I'm the one that gets to see the dark underbelly of this stuff in my private practice, you guys, and it's not good. I see the hypothyroidism. I see the autoimmunity, the loss of menstruation, the infertility, the hair loss, the poor nail growth, the gut dysfunction, uh, the androgenic facial hair growth, the deep and crippling fatigue that women try to push through just because that's what our culture tells them to do. I'm seeing this like daily. So it's happening. Um, so to summarize, Fasting and exercise is pretty much stupid for the most part. Uh, personally, I can't. I mean, I've tried it and I've accidentally fallen into it <laughs> and it's always a disaster. So I typically wake up at 6, 5.30 this morning just because it's getting so, you know, it's so light in the morning. So I've been waking up, waking up a little bit earlier. But usually up around 6, um, I don't set my alarm. That's just when I wake up and I, because of the child and getting her to school and childcare and all that stuff, I usually don't get to the gym or to the yoga studio until nine. Um, so that's three hours at least that I'm awake. And if I try to go three hours to do my workout fasted, my blood sugar plummets and my cortisol spikes. And then my workout and also my mood and my energy levels for the rest of the day completely suck. Um, I guess I, I consider myself lucky in that I've spent a good 
decade or more learning how to listen to my body and truly respond. So because I get that feedback, I'm I'm willing to say like, okay, if I fast, my workout is crap. If I underfuel, I feel like dump. So therefore, I'm going to listen to my body and not do that. I'm going to try something else. And, you know, unfortunately, we've sort of divorced ourselves from the ability to do this. Um, it's like something that we have to relearn and, and come home to ourselves and, and remember that we're on the same team as our body. And we truly, truly have to honor those messages that it's sending us. I will say that one of the biggest points of feedback from my CCP, uh, my carb compatibility project, it just ended last week, was that the program taught participants how to do exactly this. Like use your own body as your gauge. Like what's your body telling you? Cool, go with that. Um, we, we do some practices that help to reestablish that connection. So heads up, I will be running another one of those late summer, early fall. So just be on the lookout for that if it's something that interests you. Um, all right, so back to fasting. For the most part, at least people in my camp, they're fat, if they're fasting, if they're intermittent fasting, they're doing it for aesthetic goals. Don't don't tell me that you're doing it for longevity. Don't come at me with that because 99% of the women I talk to who are doing intermittent fasting, they're, they're doing it to try to lose weight. Uh, they want to lower their body fat. But here's the deal. It's really hard to put on lean muscle mass and lose fat when you're under stress. And we've just addressed that the way that we're going about it is is quite physiologically stressful. So we're putting our body into a stress response and then we're like, fingers crossed, let's hope I lose weight. It's hard. It's hard to do that. Um, we we might lose, chances are if we lose weight, we're doing it at the expense of muscle. So there's some muscle wasting going on. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to lose weight quickly without losing some muscle mass, which totally sucks because lean muscle mass drives up your resting metabolic rate. We want more lean mus muscle mass. We want to drive that metabolism. We want to, you know, for a number of different reasons, we want that. Um, so here's here's what exactly what I'm talking about. In the absence of blood sugar, so if you don't have enough blood sugar or blood glucose, right, if you're skipping meals, if you're fasting, if you're not eating, then your body will produce its own so your brain doesn't die because your brain needs a steady stream of glucose. Unless you're producing ketones on the reg, your brain needs glucose and your whole body functions to make that happen. Um, it's called gluconeogenesis. You might remember that from high school science class. And it's um, basically your body makes its own glucose um, in the absence of blood sugar. It's a super energetically expensive event in your body, meaning it requires a lot of resources. So it's not something that you like want to be doing all the time. And it can be stressful as well. Um, glucocorticoids are steroid hormones that are produced by the adrenals. And one of the, their, their, their primary purpose is to increase blood glucose. So to raise blood sugar and guess what is the body's most powerful glucocorticoid? You might be able to guess just by the, the name of it, like how it sounds. It's cortisol. So we oftentimes think about cortisol as our main stress hormone, which it totally is, but it's also a powerful regulator of blood sugar. 
Um, it has a number of actions on blood sugar, which are all geared toward increasing availability of glucose to the brain. So it pulls, it, it basically like pulls glucose out of storage in order to push it into the bloodstream to raise your blood glucose levels so then glucose can get to the brain. One of the ways that it does this, so I'm saying it pulls pulls things out of storage, is in the muscle. So it decreases glucose uptake and utilization in the muscle, meaning that your muscle stops using um, glucose and it increases protein degrad degradation. So it breaks down muscle in order to free up amino acids so they can go to the liver for gluconeogenesis. So it can make more glucose. So basically, when you're under stress or when you have low blood sugar, it's a stressful situation for the body. It's going to raise cortisol and it's going to start to catabolize. It's going to start to break down your muscle mass in order to raise blood sugar back up. So this is what's happening. Chances are, I shouldn't say always across the board blanket statement, a lot of the times this is what's happening when you fast. And it's why when you're under stress or you're underfed, it's really hard or even impossible to put on muscle. Um, and sometimes we even gain weight because sometimes cortisol, high cortisol output can actually make us gain weight, like against all odds. And I've certainly had this experience before several times over. I'm a stress bunny and I tend towards low blood sugar anyway. So I've got like both of those things working against me. Um, I There was a, a period of time kind of recently um, like the past few months where I was exercise, I was under a lot of stress, but wasn't really aware of it. Um, there was a lot of life stress going on and work stress going on, but I was like, oh, I'm just well equipped to handle this. Same deal with the modern American woman syndrome. I should be able to handle all of this. And on top of that, I was doing a lot of physical activity because it was just making me feel better. Um, my mood, it just made my mood feel a lot better. But I like was having a really hard time putting on muscle mass. And then I started to notice that I was gaining weight around my midsection. And I was like, what in the Sam hell is going on? Nothing is making sense. But i pretty sure, you know, it was because that it was just because my cortisol was so high. It just wasn't allowing me to um, to do the things that I was trying to do. Um, fortunately, I can that that's not uh, how do I want to say this? I don't attach my self-worth to to how I look or whether I gain weight or lose weight. So it's just more about like noticing things and saying, hmm, isn't that interesting? I'm a super science geek. You guys know this. So I'm like, huh, that's cool. And um, that's actually one of the reasons that I ordered a Dutch test for myself so I can see like, hey, where are my cortisol levels at right now? Because I want to know if my body is in a stress response. Now, I gave myself a few months to kind of come down from that stress response and do all the appropriate things that, uh, that helped me. But I, I want to see where I netted out. So actually today and tomorrow, I'm testing my hormones. Um, I will totally share the results with you guys when they come back in in a few weeks. So anyway, going back to the Instagram post, I posted about what I consume both before, during, and after my workouts. And before, I like a little bit of carbohydrate. So I'm in a tough situation in that I need to eat so my blood sugar doesn't crash. I, but I can't have a full belly of food before I work out or I feel really nauseous. That's always been the case for me. So I can't have like a full meal before I go hard in the gym. 
um, or go to like an IHP class or even go to a hot yoga class. Um, I just feel super nosh. So um, I can't eat a full meal, but I really like RX bars because they provide a little bit of carbohydrate, um, some fat and some protein. And I tend to do, I've tinkered around with some different macronutrient situations and I tend to do the best with a combination of all three. So I would highly recommend you try that. Like, do you do better with just straight carbohydrate, like a banana or a piece of toast? Do you do better with some carbohydrate and fat, like maybe like avocado toast or banana with peanut butter? Or do you do better with a combination of all three, like a hard boiled egg, you know, whatever. Just play around with some some things. Um, I used to do really, really well with just straight fat. Um, so I would do like my Fuel Bites, which is a recipe on my website, or like a high-fat bar, or even um, some a couple hard-boiled eggs, like protein and fat. But I noticed that for lifting, because I'll lift for like a solid 45 to 60 minutes, um, or high intensity interval training, I do so much better with carbohydrate beforehand. So those are some things that you can definitely tinker around and see what makes you feel the best um, before your workout. And so I usually do, like I said, an RX bar. I'll do half or a whole depending on how I feel. And then I also do electrolytes before and during my my workouts, um, especially if I'm in the hot room. So if I'm doing hot yoga or hot Pilates, I really throw those electrolytes back. For a brand, I like Superior. I always feel like I'm saying that wrong. It's like Lake Superior. Um, I like those. I buy them at Blaze and Steamhouse locally. You can also get them on Amazon. They're very sweet. So I like the taste of them, but they're sweetened with stevia. If you're sensitive to sweet stevia, obviously stay away from that. Um, Another decent option. Hang on, I got to take a sip of my water. Hopefully you guys didn't hear my swallowing and my gross mouth noise. Nothing makes me go more than hearing somebody swallow into a podcast mic. Um, So I hopefully didn't subject you guys to that. All right. So another good option if you don't want anything sweetened is just getting some concentrate trace mineral drops. So that's going to have a more comprehensive um, profile of minerals. They taste like super butt. So just a heads up there, they are yucky, but you just drop them into some water. That's another good thing. You could just heavily salt your food with some sea salt. You could even salt your water. There's homemade electrolyte drinks you can make. Um, Go crazy. I will also say that if you have poor blood sugar regulation or uh, cortisol dysfunction, it can be extra hard to hold on to electrolytes. So even more reason Um, to supplement with them. And then I talked about taking branch chain amino acids, BCAAs. It's often written out um, either before, during, or immediately after. So the brand that I take is Thorn. Not to say it's the best on the market, but it's a decent one um, with no junky ingredients. There's a lot of bad branch chain amino acid supplements. Um, So Thorne is a practitioner line, so I trust it. I use a lot of their supplements, so I trust that one. It seems to have a relatively decent ratio of the the three amino acids, which I'll talk about in a sec. Um, So if you're looking for one, all the products that I'm talking about today, I will be sure to post links in the show notes below. So if if you just want to click on through, you can do that. Um, That one, again, is sweetened with stevia. So if you don't like the 
if you can't do stevia, you're going to want to look for another one. Look for one with just branched chain amino, branched chain amino acids, no caffeine. Um, they put caffeine in a lot of pre-workouts. I am not a fan, um, especially if you have adrenal problems or blood sugar dysregulation. You don't want to be cranking caffeine. And if you need caffeine before your workout, that means you are not appropriately fueled. So that means you need to eat more food. Don't lean on caffeine. It's only going to tank your adrenals. Um, all right. So branch chain amino acids, I'm going to spend some time talking about them here. When I posted about them, people went like buck wild. And I just don't want you guys to think that I'm willy nilly making this blanket recommendation for everybody. I mean, hopefully if you've been listening to the show for long enough, you know that that is not how I approach things. Um, but they can, it might be something to try for some people. So I'm going to talk about them and you can kind of decide for yourself, is this appropriate for me? So branch chain amino acids are three amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Um, these are three essential amino acids just meaning that the body can't make them on its own. So we have to get them through food because our body can't synthesize them. Um, they're not the only three essential amino acids, but these specific branch chain amino acids are largely metabolized in skeletal muscle, so not the liver like other amino acids. And because of that, they help to repair damaged muscle proteins, which is necessary to build muscle tissue. So that's why people supplement with them uh, before, during, or after exercise, because they can help to reduce fatigue, they can increase endurance, they can help to build muscle, and also prevent muscle soreness. So sounds like a pretty good deal. Uh, now, in terms of when to take them specifically, there's all sorts of studies that use them at all different times. I mean, it's always around exercise. So again, either before, during, or right after. Um, so I guess you could just tinker around and figure out where it feels the best for you. Um, I've been kind of doing all three, just depending on the day and like trying to note if I feel any different on depending on when I take them, and I really kind of haven't. Um, I have heard some rumblings around on the internet where people are using them for fasted workouts. So instead of eating food or doing a, you know, a pre-workout meal or snack, they're using branched chain amino acids instead. And I don't, I don't love this for two reasons. One is that you're essentially admitting that you need extra fuel to get through your workout, but you're unwilling to eat. And that to me sounds extremely disordered. And then two, the research shows some wonky things in regards to protein metabolism and blood sugar and insulin when it comes to branched chain amino acids, specifically with leucine. I spent a few hours digging into research and I was like cross-eyed by the end of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I went in too hard and too fast, man. Um, Basically, what I've deduced, and I'm going to link to two different articles that um, that break this down pretty well if you want more re um, information, and then they also link to some of the studies and the research articles about this. So check them out in the show notes. But essentially, when you fast and blood sugar drops low, so you when you fast, no food, no blood sugar, it drops low. Leucine, one of the branched chain amino acids, starts to rise in the blood and your muscle increases its ability to use more leucine to make more energy. So it's just kind of an interesting thing that the body does. It's most probably 
to prevent muscle wasting because remember when your blood sugar drops low, this can put you in a catabolic state where you start breaking down your muscle tissue for fuel like we chatted about earlier. Um, so there is, because of this, um, there's some associations of long-term supplementation of branched-chain amino acids and increased risk of type 2 diabetes. Um, in type 2 diabetes, and also insulin resistance, that leucine effect that we just spoke about might not be working appropriately, so blood levels might stay high. And if blood levels of leucine are high, throwing more branched-chain amino acids by way of supplementation onto the situation can just make it worse. Um, so I guess if you're considering taking branched-chain amino acids as a supplement, um, really, if you, you might want to know if you have insulin resistance or high blood sugar or if you're at risk for type 2 diabetes or you have type 2 diabetes. And I would probably work on getting that under control first through diet, through lifestyle, through movement. Um, just from the research, it it seems like it's probably supplementing with these guys. It's probably not a great bet for you. Um, and then another consideration to think about is that branched-chain amino acids may lower serotonin levels just because um, it could compete with tryptophan uptake. It does sound like the two drawbacks that I'm mentioning have more to do with high dose and long-term supplementation. So you're, do it, you're supplementing for a long period of time at higher doses, but I would still use caution anyway. And for sure, if your mood starts to shift with supplementation, discontinue it immediately. Um, so pay attention to that. And I want to be super duper clear here that you can get branched chain amino acids through high protein foods. You don't have to supplement with them. So any good quality high protein foods going to contain these essential amino acids in different ratios. Um, so really focus on food first. In fact, I will say that my supplement my supplementation with these guys is a brand new thing. Not brand new, but newish because I'm actively trying to put on muscle mass and it is not very easy for me to do so. Just historically speaking, my body is not one that puts on muscle very easily. So I was just kind of curious to see if I notice any difference with supplementation. And that's, you know, I always use myself N equals one experiment, just tried different things out on myself um, to see to see what happens. Um, so to that point, I never uh, try to condone out supplementing a subpar diet. And so when I say subpar, you, you want to be sure you're consuming adequate quality protein. Um, I'm going to say a minimum of 100 grams a day, but some people's needs are actually going to be higher than that, especially if you're looking to put on muscle mass. And also you want ample calories. Um, I had mentioned in my post how my, my post-workout smoothie is at least 600 calories, and that's because it's my meal. Um, and anything under, this is my opinion, anything under than 600 calories is not a meal. It's not. It's a freaking snack. And the people that are telling you otherwise, I mean, they're just encouraging and condoning starvation. And I just like, I'm all set with that. Um, but so in my post-workout smoothie, I'm like packing in a lot of things because that's a meal. Um, and since I'm trying to put on lean muscle mass, I have to get enough fuel 
enough calories, enough food, enough protein, because it's next to impossible to put on muscle mass in a caloric deficit. Um, in fact, you usually have to be in a caloric surplus. If you look at like bodybuilders and what they have to eat, it's like a lot of freaking food to like put on and maintain that mass. Um, it, you know, and this of course depends on genetics and depends on some other factors, but it's typically the case for most of us. Um, so circling the conversation back around to where we started, most women are underestimating their caloric needs. Um, and whether you're trying to lose weight, whether you're trying to put on muscle mass, all of it is kind of, um, well, I shouldn't say it's irrelevant, but it, for across the board, women are underestimating their caloric needs. And um, I'll just use myself as an example here to tell you guys like what my needs are given my goals and my situation. Um, I weigh 145. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to, um, I'm plugging all of this into a, a calculator. And the one that I really like, it's called the Body Weight Planner. Um, it's through the National Institute for Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. I will link to it in the show notes. I do not think that all calculators are created equal, like the MyFitnessPal. I feel like they grossly underestimate um, your caloric needs. And, you know, people are like typing in, like, I want to lose. 672 pounds in three days. And they're like, okay, your caloric needs are three calories per day. And you're like, great. So, you know, you also have to be realistic about what your body can actually do in, in terms of weight loss. But, um, uh, so I was using my body weight planner and I am around 145 pounds, total super estimate. Um, I don't get, I don't have a scale and, you know, I only get weighed when I go to my doctors and, you know, I'm somewhere between 140 and 150 over the past few years. I fluctuate somewhere in there, usually net out around 145. And just I want to throw out there that I have no issue about being weighed at the doctors. I know that's a big issue for some people. And if it is, if it's a trigger for you, tell them no. You can refuse it. Um, you, you don't have to be weighed. Uh, this is your body and it's also your decision. You do not have to be weighed at your physician's office. So use your voice. That's what you've got it for. Um, for me, it's it's totally a non non thing. It, I don't like I said earlier. I do not attach um, any sense of worth or worthiness to to the number on a scale. For me, it's just interesting. Like it's a, just an interesting uh, piece of data. That's it. I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so anyway, about 145, and then you go ahead and you enter your height, your weight. Excuse me. Yeah, your weight, your age. And um, also your activity level. This is where things get a little bit dicey because it's pretty hard to estimate that. I like this one because it ha it it asks you for two things. One, what's your activity level um, when you're at work or at school? So I put very um, like very much not active, <laughs> like least active because I'm not like sitting at a computer. Um, or on a podcast mic all day. So um, so you have the ability to say like what you do at work. So I say very light. And then all, then the next one is describe your physical activity at leisure time. So basically what are you doing not at at work? And then you can you have many different options for that and they explain each option. Um, so I work out. So here's what I do currently for exercise. Um, I go to IHP, Inferno Hot Pilates, two times a week. I lift, like I said, 45 minutes to an hour, two times a week. 
and I do hot vinyasa two times a week and I walk a ton. I'm like hoofing it around most days of the week. So that's, that's active to very active. Um, and so with all of that, in order to maintain my current weight, I have to eat 20, a little over 2,600 calories. Okay. And so since my goal is to put on lean muscle mass, I don't want to dip below that number. Um, so that is just to throw it out there at not to say that 2,600 is going to be your number and not to say that we have to get really caught up in the numbers and in the calorie counts. Um, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about calories, so you can go back to old shows to, to hear me talk about that. Um, for me, it's helpful just to, you know, to sometimes log calories just to make sure, like once in a while, um, just to make sure you're eating enough. Um, and, and anyway, point is, is that like, you know, that's a lot more calories than we think we need. You can see why eating 1500 calories a day, especially as an active woman would just be a total disaster. And we can see why women are feeling really crappy and fatigued and starting to have all of these problems. Listen, high cortisol levels are no bueno. You don't, you know, chronic exposure, number one, chronic exposure to of high cortisol to the pancreas can start to increase insulin output. So we we think that like, oh, high blood sugar is the worst problem. But if you have constant chronic low blood sugar, fasting or otherwise, um, cortisol is going to have to keep coming in to do the freaking job because you're not feeding yourself appropriately. So cortisol is always high. It's like hammering on the pancreas. And then the pancreas eventually like freaks out and we start to see insulin resistance and the whole like pre-diabetic picture. Like that's not good. But chronic uh, exposure to cortisol can have some inflammatory effects and it can affect the immune system. It can affect the digestive system. It can affect the endocrine system. It's all interconnected. And so, you know, we think of stress as like maybe no big deal or something like I'll get under control when I have time. No, you got to do it now, homie. Like you got to get that shit under control now. Um, And part of it is just eating appropriately. That's part of lowering your stress response. So that's my whole spiel. Um, That smoothie that I'm talking about that I usually eat after my meal, I have, um, it's, I usually do eat after my meal. I eat after my workout. Um, I usually get that in about 20 minutes to 30 minutes. If I'm doing high interval, high intensity interval training, I wait until my stress responses come down because you never want to consume a ton of food. When your stress response is ramped up, you won't digest it appropriately. So I wait till like, you know, 20, 30 minutes afterwards. And what I pack in there, my current favorite is an avocado or half an avocado, frozen blueberries, baby spinach, uh, fresh baby spinach, frozen cauliflower rice. I get the stuff, the organic stuff from Trader Joe's. I love that in a smoothie now. I'm freaking obsessed with it. I freak out when I run out. Um, I throw in some hemp seeds for some essential fatty acids and for extra protein. I throw some maca powder in simply because I love the taste of it. And then I'll definitely do a protein powder. So my current favorite is Equip Foods um, grass-fed beef isolate. It's it, To me, it tastes really yummy. It is sweetened with stevia. That doesn't bother me. It might bother some people. And then I 
always throw in my liver and detox, (laughs) my detox powder, Um, my liver and detox support powder. Um, That's something that I take every day. So that's it, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I just hope it sheds some light on, um, you know, the situation at hand and what we can all do about it just to get ourselves feeling a little bit better. All right, I'm out. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you 